a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. This morning I want to spend some time looking at the subject and talking about honouring God with our finances. Now, you might think, oh, that's a bit of a strange talk, isn't it, when we as a country are in the middle of a recession? But actually, I think it's even more important now than perhaps ever before. You see, honouring God is about putting God first. There's a church in South Africa, in uh, Johannesburg, I think, and it's called God First Church. It's the name of it. It's an unusual name, I'll give you that, but I quite like it, because it sort of does what it says on the tin. (laughs) God first church. You know who's in charge, don't you? You know where God sits, so you know what's going on. Uh, And I, I quite like that. Now, in a recession, you might think that perhaps the best thing you can do is, you know, squirrel away as much money as possible, not to put it in an Icelandic bank, Maybe stick it under the mattress or some other place you think is safe in case that your plans don't work out. Or maybe you, you, know, you lose your job or maybe things don't go according to plan. Now, whilst I think it's good to save and it's important to be wise with your money, I would suggest the best thing that you can do right now, that all of us can do, is actually to get your giving in order because as you do that, It puts God first in your finances. And putting God first in our lives and in every area of our life, including our finances, is important to us. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. If you're you're looking it up, then I'm going to look at a number of passages this morning. So if you want to follow along, then please do. If you just want to write them down, look at them later. I'll give you the references as we go. This is Matthew 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be Also, I wonder, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Where's your heart, perhaps? What are you putting your trust or your hope in? Because if it's in your job, or if it's in your salary, or your money, or your savings, or whatever it might be, then you could find a time of recession pretty tough. Very tough. Very difficult. There was a prophetic word uh, recently, well, it was at the back end of 2007, actually. We, um, as New Frontiers leaders in the UK, we gather three times a year for two days of prayer and fasting. And uh, at the back end of 2007, October 2007, we met uh, in Peterborough, several, about seven or eight hundred of us. And uh, somebody brought this prophetic word, and I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. Bear in mind the date of this, okay? This is October 2007. This was part of the prophetic word that Ginny brought. She said this. I just feel God saying, 
in yet a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, and that which cannot be shaken will remain. I have not spoken these things to you because you do not hear. I have spoken these things to you to underline my promises to you at this time. I have spoken these things to you that you may write them on the depths of your heart. I have spoken these things to you so that you may know that that which cannot be shaken will be that which remains. For a shaking is coming in this nation, says the Lord. For it is time for this nation to seek the Lord. And I tell you that that which has been unprecedented is the beginning of many unprecedented things which will happen in this nation. For I tell you, great challenges will come. Challenges that challenge every part of where a man puts his security. For even as shoppers go out in their materialism, they will be faced with eternity. It's home, isn't it? And that was, you know, before much of the banking system uh, went into the free-fall dive that we've seen in recent months. I think it was just after the Northern Rock collapse, it would have been, wouldn't it, October 07. So just after that, before things had got, you know, like we, like we see them now, God says a shaking is coming. There'll be unprecedented things. If we'd been chatting a few years ago, would we have thought about, you know, house prices diving or banking systems, you know, not quite completely collapsing, but in severe trouble? We wouldn't have thought of it. You know, our banks were thinking, you know, they're, they're stable, they're solid, they're fine. God says there's going to be a shaking. And I would suggest we're in that shaking right now. Our nation is being shaken. The world economy is being shaken like we don't remember in our lifetimes. So you see, it's in times like these, when things are being shaken, you find out what remains. You find out where your hope is. You find out where your treasure is. I got a statement through uh, a couple of weeks ago for part of my pension fund. I thought, okay, we'll have a look. And uh, looked at the numbers, weren't great, probably lost about 15% in the last year. If my treasure was in that, I'd be worried. Even though retirement is about the furthest thing uh, from my mind right now, if I just looked at the stats and thought, oh, I'd be worried. If your treasure is in your home, then most likely it's lost value recently. It hasn't gone up. But if your treasure is in heaven, then you can know a security and a peace regardless of the shaking that goes on around you. Now, you might be in difficult circumstances, terrible circumstances even. You might have found that you've lost your job or you think you might do. You're you're unsure how things are going to work out for you financially. Even in a situation like that, you can still know God's peace. You can still know his peace if your treasure is in the right place. Think about it for a moment. Jesus was able to sleep in a boat where the winds and the waves were crashing all around. The disciples, think about it, disciples, many of whom were accomplished sailors, being in boats was not unusual for them. They were terrified. They were wondering what was going to happen. Jesus is sleeping through it all. He isn't bothered in the slightest. Now it's not that he was more tired than they were. It's not that just he, he needed to sleep and was just out like a light and, you know, 
actually, the reason he was able to sleep was his security was not in that boat. His security was in God the Father. Even when waves and wind were crashing all around him, he knew where his security really was. And this is a huge issue for us as a nation right now. Huge issue for each of us as well, living in this nation. Now, I wouldn't normally give such a challenge at the beginning of a preach. Normally I'd perhaps work up to it. But I want to issue this challenge right now because I want to build on it in just a moment. I want to make sure that we're laying a foundation that we can build on. So the question for each of us is, me and you, where's your treasure? Where's your trust? So what I want to do is to go on and look this morning at our financial giving to God. Now, I don't mean a one-off sort of special offering type uh, deal, but rather I want to look at our regular giving to God and what that should look like. Now, what should it look like? How much should it be? Where should it go? These are some questions that I want to look at this morning. So if you're visiting us, I'm very aware we've got some visitors here this morning. Folks, it's great to see you. I'm thrilled you're here. But you might be thinking, oh no, they preach on money every week. You might be thinking, oh no, what have I come to? Is this some sort of weird name it, claim it, prosperity gospel teaching sort of church? Listen, don't worry. We don't preach on money all the time. And we're certainly not our, you know, some weird name it, claim it, prosperity gospel church. In fact, the last time I preached on giving was in January last year. So I think we're due a revisit of the subject. So if you're visiting us this morning, welcome. You've chosen the giving week and we're thrilled you're here. Um, but uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And if you're visiting us, maybe you're part of another church, I'm hoping this will help you and serve you in your home church as well. If you're visiting us thinking, I wonder if Jubilee is the place for me, then it's important you know where we stand on these sort of things and uh, what's important to us. So I'm trusting this will serve you as well. And for those of us that are part of Jubilee and here regularly, this is for us too. Let's not miss what God has for us this morning. See, Jesus often spoke about money. So we shouldn't be afraid of speaking about it and preaching it. And I make no apology for looking at it this morning. I reckon Jesus talked about it a lot more than we do, actually. Now, money is a subject that can often cause stress. If you look at the, uh, the top three stress causes in a marriage, sometimes you, you'll come across sex, communication, and money. They're the, they're the top three, generally. And uh, so looking at what God says about money is important. Before we go on, let me say one more thing. The way that we have organised our finances as a church means that I do not know what any single individual gives, apart from me. I don't know what anybody else gives. So I get a report from Steve each month which outlines money in and money out, a bit like your bank statement, and outline what was coming and what we've spent some money on. But it's not broken down into who has given what. I don't know. So I haven't had an email from Steve saying, Dear Graham, next time you preach on giving, can you really look at certain individuals and can you really home in on some certain people because, because they're not giving very much? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And so that means that it frees me up to talk about this, I trust, in a way that will be 
more difficult otherwise. So if you feel uncomfortable or convicted, it's not because I have any information. Might I suggest it's the Holy Spirit that may be at work and applying some stuff to you. Let's remember, money isn't neutral. It has a power all of its own. And having a good understanding will help us to make sure it doesn't get the better of us. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 13, Luke 16, verse 13, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Not that you'll find it difficult or tricky, but you can't. You can't do it. In 1 Timothy 6, I don't have time to look at it now, but in 1 Timothy 6, Paul talks about the love of money and how that can be a root of all kinds of evil. He talks about uh, those who want to get rich falling into temptation and a trap. So there are some dangers for us when it comes to money. Money can seduce you. Greed can get you. You Now look at the crisis that we're in right now in the world's financial sector, much of which has been caused by man's greed, isn't it? By different people coming up with all sorts of schemes that nobody really understood, but seemed to offer amazing returns and huge bonuses for them. (laughs) And actually, look where it's got us. Greed has caused major problems. So, should we pray and ask God to help us as we look at these bits of things together? That was the introduction, okay? So we're going to get going from now. And uh, let's pray and uh, ask God to help us. I'm trusting you'll be home by Tuesday to eat your Sunday lunch. So I hope it's on a slow cook. (laughs) We'll uh, look at some of these things. Let's pray. Father, we want to declare that you are Lord of our lives. And I pray now that you'd help us as we look at this subject. I pray, Lord Jesus, please help me to communicate this well. I pray, God, help me to teach what the Bible says in a way that is helpful to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. We might learn from you this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so fundamentally, giving money to God is all about worship. That's a heading, worship. You see, giving to God represents and is part of our worship to him. One of the reasons a bucket goes round during our time of singing together is not just because that's when we take up the collection, it's because it's part of our worship. Giving money to God is part of our worship. Now, many of us would give by other methods, maybe by standing order from our bank. But some of us actually quite like the physical act of putting something in the bucket that represents something and is giving worship to God right at the very centre of our time together. Our first core principle, if you like, is loving God. The importance of worship at the very heart and centre of our lives. And giving to God is part of that. So I want to look at what the Bible has to say about our regular giving to him, about giving to God, and particularly about tithing. Tithing uh, in the Bible is giving God 10%, a tenth of your income. And it's a principle we come across quite a lot. Now, sometimes Christians fall into the trap of thinking, hey, tithing, isn't that just Old Testament deal? Do we, you know, is that relevant to us now? And what I want to look at this morning is how it actually uh, is relevant to us now and is what the Bible teaches all, through, all throughout. 
So whether you've... Um, However, however you might describe yourself, whether you know, you've uh, considered this before and uh, feel that you're, you know, you're, you're giving God a tithe and more maybe, and you think, okay, well, I've got that one sussed, you might think, well, please stay with me, there might be some stuff here for you. Maybe it isn't something you've even considered before. Maybe you think, oh, this is new, uh, well, I'm hoping this will serve you well. And if maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not sure what I think about that, then I'm trusting what we look at now will, will serve you too. I believe God has something for all of us this morning. You see, everything belongs to God, doesn't it? Would you agree with that? That's, that's our starting point. The psalmist says, Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. You and I, we're just stewards, temporarily looking after some things for God for a while. And if we get that one right, it's a really helpful foundation to build on. It's not the attitude of many people that we live around us. The world says, hey, it's yours. You have a right to it. You need it. You've earned it. Why should you give any of it away? In the news this week, there's been the case, isn't there, of, uh, of the banker who's got a you know, £700,000 pension, yet his bank went bust virtually, and he's saying, no, it's mine, I'm entitled to it. And all the commentators have been uh, sort of laying into him and saying, this, isn't, this is not right. <laughs> Actually, we're just stewards. God has given us something to look after for a while. And it's because that by giving a proportion back to God, we acknowledge him as the giver of all things. That small part that we give back to him in our worship, represents something much larger. The part represents the whole. And as we give a part back to God, we declare him as Lord of our lives. We declare him as Lord of our finances. We declare that he's the one in charge. He's the one that we're following. He's the king of kings. He's the king of our lives. He's the one that's worthy of our praise and our worship. And so our giving to him, giving a part, represents something much greater. It represents the whole. Now, we come across tithing in the Old Testament in the very first book of the Bible, book of Genesis. Maybe you just want to turn to it with me quickly. In Genesis chapter 14, we can look at what the Old Testament has to say, then we can look at what the New Testament has to say, and uh, we'll ask what we need to do about it. So first of all, the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 14, Verse uh, 17. Then Abraham returned from defeating Kedolorama, I think. That's good, isn't it? And the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying... Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. If you remember the story of Abraham, or Abraham as he's still known at this point, God hasn't changed his name yet, he was on a journey. He was on a journey to the promised land, that land which God had spoken to him about, and he'd taken along for the journey his nephew, Lot. And so Abraham and all his cattle and his camels and his family and lots were going with him. 
And Lot had got caught up in a battle between some warring kings. And Lot had been taken captive. And so Abraham, in Genesis 14, goes to rescue Lot and his family and bring them out of that captivity. And after this successful mission, Melchizedek, this rather mysterious character, appears on the scene. And we're told that he was king of Salem and priest of God. King of Salem and priest of God. And Abraham worships God and he gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything, a tithe. Now, the writer to the Hebrews tells us that this chap Melchizedek was a type of Christ. He was the first person to hold this title of king and priest, just like Jesus does, king and priest most high. And so Abraham giving 10% to Melchizedek is actually something much deeper and richer than it seems at first, just in reading those few verses. It's like giving God the tithe, because Melchizedek represents something and someone. And, and this, uh, this story here, what happens with Abraham, occurs some six or 700 years before the law was given to Moses. So before Moses was writing down the law about giving God 10%, we find this occurrence right at the beginning of the book of Genesis. The second occurrence, we don't have time to look at in detail, you can look at it uh, on your own, please do in Genesis 28, is with Jacob. Do you remember Jacob? And in Genesis 28, Jacob has a dream. This is the Led Zeppelin dream, if you know it. You know, this is the, the stairway to heaven dream. It's not my joke, I have to give it credit to Adrian for that one. Um, but this dream, uh, Jacob has, and uh, in his dream, he makes some prom- God makes some promises to him. And the next morning, Jacob wakes up, and uh, in Genesis 28, he then gives God a tenth as part of his worship. And it's a way of Jacob acknowledging God's place in his life. And once again, that, that part, the tenth, represents something much bigger. The part represents the whole. He's giving himself to God afresh. And part of that is him giving God a tithe. Now sometime later, we then get to Moses. So Jacob, then was Genesis 28, if you're writing that down. Some point later, we get to, to Moses. Now Moses had led the children of Israel out of captivity and into the, well not into the promised land, into the desert really, where they wandered about for 40 years because of their sin. So Moses has taken them out of Egypt and in Leviticus and Numbers we find God giving the people of Israel the laws that they are to live by. And uh, if you want to turn to Leviticus 27 with me, you'll find uh, God giving Moses uh, some laws here. And in verse 30 of Leviticus 27, God says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. So it's very clear now that tithing now becomes part of Old Testament law, what the people of Israel are to do. And a bit later in Numbers 18, uh, Numbers 18 verse 21, we find God explaining that the tithes that the people give 
to the Levite, bring them to the Levites. They're actually for the Levites to use. They're for, their job is to serve at the tent of meeting. Their job is to, to keep that happening and to be worshipping God there. And uh, God explains that he gives that tithe to them. See, giving God the first part, the tenth, was part of their law, but it represented much more than that. It represented that God was in charge. He was in charge. He was the Lord. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your uh, vats will brim over with new wine. It's Proverbs 3, verse 9. Now we find in the Old Testament again, there are blessings attached to tithing. God promises to bless his people as they tithe. And conversely, there were curses attached to not tithing. Now right at the end of the Old Testament, we find the book of Malachi. And in Malachi, in in chapter 3, Verse 6, we find God saying this, Malachi 3, verse 6. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? God says this, in tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's what God says. You see, God had commanded his people to tithe. He'd put it in, in the law. And so and he went on and he told them to test him in it. Now you see, God said that they were robbing him because remember that first part, that first tenth, God said belonged to him. And the people were keeping it. They weren't giving it to him. So God was saying, you, you're robbing me. That belongs to me. It's interesting, isn't it, that God told his people to test him in it. It's the only time in the Bible we're told to put God to the test like that. But he says, hey, test me in this. See if I'm not faithful in it. And this shows that tithing is an issue of faith. See, it's not about whether you, can, you think you can afford it or not. It's a faith issue. God says, test me in this. So the question for us has to be, do we trust God to be faithful to his words or not. Now, it's true that tithing was enshrined then in Old Testament law. But let's not forget, before we move on, that Abraham and Jacob both gave God 10% voluntarily, even before the law was given, well before, hundreds of years before the law was given. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus has plenty uh, of opportunity to dismiss, dismiss tithing if he wanted to. But it's interesting that he didn't. So tithing in the New Testament, what do, we, what do we learn about it? Well, on one occasion, we find Jesus castigating the Pharisees for tithing their herbs and spices. They'd got down to sort of, you know, the, you know one leaf for God and nine leaves for me, and working out the spices, and they just got down to crazy detail. 
So Jesus is sort of, you know, having a go at them for doing that, but neglecting justice. It's interesting, he didn't say, look, ditch the tithing deal, just do something else. Actually, what Jesus said is this, Luke eleven forty two. 42. Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So rather than Jesus saying, yes, it's important that you practice uh, justice and the love of God, just, just don't worry about the tithing deal anymore, that's Old Testament now. Jesus doesn't. He tells them to do that, but to go further, to make sure that they're honouring God and, and not neglecting justice. If Jesus was looking for any opportunity to decry tithing as something that was now irrelevant and not appropriate, that was the time to do it. But he didn't. Instead, he told them to keep doing that, but to go further and to remember the love of God and his justice. So the New Testament sees tithing, giving God 10%, as a starting point and not a finishing point. In fact, if 10% was good enough for the Old Testament people of God, who had really, let's face it, a limited revelation of who he was, weren't experiencing his grace and mercy through Jesus as we are, if 10% was good enough for them, shouldn't we be giving so much more? Now, we've received much more from God than they have, haven't we? They had to live under the law. They had to be going to the temple, sacrificing animals. There's a sort of rigid system of honouring God, but through the law. But you and I, hey, we live under God's grace. Isn't it wonderful? You know, who's been to the temple to sacrifice the lamb this week? Have you been? Have you, have you done it? You know, have you taken the goat along, a bit of dove maybe? You don't have to do it, do you? Because Jesus is the, the ultimate sacrifice. He has paid the price. And now it's not about living by law or a set of regulations that God says, live like this or there'll be trouble. Live like this so that you can honour me. Live like this and I'll bless you. Now God says, here's my grace. I want to bless you and I've chosen to bless you and Jesus has made it possible. And yes, it's true. Now he writes that law on our hearts so that we want to live like that. And we want to live in a life that honours him and loves him and glorifies him. But we do it because we've received his grace and his wonderful mercy. Not because we're following a set of rules and regulations. So, so the law says, give God 10%. That's fine. Grace would say, hey, you know what? I can give more. Because <laughs> I've received so much more. You know, how on earth could grace give less than law? It'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Friends, if you're earning this morning, if you're in a job, if, you're, if you receive a, you know, a salary, if you're earning money, then I don't see how you can build a biblical New Testament case for giving God less than 10%. It just seems crazy. Surely it's a starting point. That's what the New Testament assumes. It has a starting point and then encourages us to go further. So the Bible often speaks of tithes and offerings, doesn't it? recognising that many are in a position to give over and above that 10%, both regularly 
and on special occasions. So and we've had gift days, haven't we? Maybe for things like an Alpha course you're running or maybe to give in to the wider work of New Frontiers. We'll, we'll do that sometimes and have those sort of gift days. And that's on top of our regular giving, isn't it? That's because we want to you know, be involved in, in something else as well. Now, for some of you this morning, I recognise that giving God 10%, that's high, even if you thoroughly believe in it, would be a stretch. I recognise that. God knows that and will honour your faithfulness in tithing and giving him that. For others of you this morning, you may well be in a position to give well beyond that 10%, that tithe. Now maybe God has blessed you with a a really well-paid job. Maybe you've paid the mortgage off or maybe the kids have left home or or whatever it is for you that you find yourselves in in a particularly good position. Hey, remember, the New Testament sees this tithe as a starting point. So I wonder, what could you go to? 11, 12, 15, 20%? I've even heard of some people, I don't know any, but I've heard of some people who reverse tithe. They give God 90% and live on 10. Anybody? I don't know. But the issue, remember, is the part, whatever the part is, represents the whole giving God ourselves. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a Christian here and you're not tithing, can I ask you, please, even this week, get before God, look at some of these references we've looked at, and ask God to help you with it. Now, if you look at your expenses, consider all that you're spending, look at your budget, and then say, can I afford to tithe as well? The answer will probably be no. It doesn't work that way around. Believe me, I know. I've tried it. Tithing is about giving God the first fruits. So it needs to be the first thing in your budget. That's why I'm saying get before God and pray about it even before you start taking out some bank statements and receipts and looking at the, the hard stats. In my budget spreadsheet for our family, our tithe, our regular giving to Jubilee is the very first thing on the list. Right at the top. It's always been like that. It's before tax as well. Because it's, it's giving God the, the first fruits before the Chancellor gets hold of his share. It's giving God the first bit. See, if, if, we look, if I was to look at everything that we wanted to do as a family, and if I thought, well, you know, I'd like us to be able to uh, do this or do that, or maybe um, you know, have this, these holidays or, or this car, or I'd like us to be able to move house or whatever it might be, what we could, we, we'd want to do, and then try and tithe as well, wouldn't work. But for me and for us, the tithe always goes in first. Everything else follows after that. What sort of house can we afford? What, what, what can we stretch to on our mortgage? It's after the tithe. Can I afford to replace the car? It's after the tithe. What holiday are we going to have? Can we afford to go on holiday this year? What are we going to do? Can we do some decorating or not? All those questions come after we've given our tithe. And they have to. It's the only way it works. <laughs> if you try and answer all those other questions first, you never actually get to giving God what we should be giving to him. But if tithing is something you're doing already, and you're committed to it, and I want to encourage you, why not try and get to a place where you're consistently giving God more than that 10%. Aim to increase your regular giving to him. Now, I've been thinking about this one recently. 
You know, this, this is where I'm at. I'm being honest now. This, this is where I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what, what can we push it to? Now, I, I already round it up, and I'm not into getting the final little pence on the standing order. It'd be crazy. But I'm thinking, well, how can, you know, can we go a bit further now? You know, I've, I've been tithing for years. I'm thinking, actually, I'm going to start to get, to get further on this and give more. So that's, that's what I'm at. I've even been preparing this in the last few weeks. I've been, I've been working towards this for several weeks, this preach. And, and I've, been, I've been thinking, well, you know, what, what do I need to do now? What, what, what's God saying to me? What's he saying to us as a family? So I want to ask you this morning, all of us, can we, can we get before God and ask him, what's he saying about your giving to him? Now, as well as that regular giving, there will be uh, special offerings and that throughout the year. So let's make sure we pray about them and ask God what he's saying to us about those as well. And uh, take the opportunity to give generously and joyfully. Jesus is the ultimate generous giver, isn't he? Think about it for a moment. Think about what Jesus gave up for you and for me. Nothing that we give, let's be real about it, is going to come close. Jesus gave up the glory of heaven, the majesty of heaven, gave it all up freely, could have said no, didn't, came to live as a human on earth, born as a baby in a stable, lived as a man, fully man, fully God, went to the cross for you and me, so that we don't have to live by that law, that we can live under grace. I mean, Jesus has got to be our model of generosity, hasn't he? What a generous giver. What a generous God that gives us those things. But remember, the part that we give back to him, that tithe and more, represents the whole, everything. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. So, who wants to reap generously? Yeah, bunch of fibbers not putting your hands up. Goodness me. We want to reap generously, don't we? So guess what? The challenge to us is to sow generously. But Paul doesn't finish there. He goes on. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says this. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Thank you, those who prompt. <laughs> and God is able to make all, gra- all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all time, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God loves a cheerful giver. So are you a cheerful giver? Don't give reluctantly. Don't treat God like the tax man. You're looking at your, your bank statement thinking, Chancellor, <laughs> don't look at it like that. Give generously, cheerfully. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, as we give, God gives to us. I remember when I was in my early 20s, and I, I started to take this seriously. And I had to make a decision to sort out my giving. And uh, somebody encouraged me firstly to pray about it and then to do it. Just, just do it. And they also encouraged me to pray about my work situation because at the time that was quite tricky and difficult. And I was, had some questions. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And God answered both prayers. 
And I didn't talk to this guy about tithing particularly. I talked to him about my work situation. And it, I don't know how he, he got to where he got to with it, but I remember him challenging me. So, you know, are you tithing? Are you doing that regularly? Well, sort of, sort of was probably my answer. <laughs> and he encouraged me and challenged me to just sort it out before God to give generously and cheerfully. And we also prayed about my work situation as well. God answered both prayers. For me, I'd probably put it off too long. I just had to stop making excuses and do it. But God was faithful. He was faithful to me financially, and my work situation improved as well. I was able to tithe and give on top of that. See, God is faithful to us if we trust him. I've said before, many of you will have heard me say, uh, a few years ago, I took two years out of work to, to train for what I'm doing now, leading Jubilee. And uh, I remember talking to my parents about it, and I remember my dad saying, yeah, you'll be living by faith. That'll be good for you. <laughs> Thinking, thanks, Dad. <laughs> but he was right. It was good for me, actually. I took two years out of work. I had a, I had a pretty good job. I had a very good job. And uh, I just felt God speak to me about putting that down and uh, taking a couple of years out of work to train for, for leading the church. And God provided for me. I had a, one year I had a flat in Leicester. Second year I was in Derby, I had a house. I ran a car, I shopped at Sainsbury's, <laughs> and I didn't go bust. God was faithful. He looked after me. Sarah could probably tell you if she was here this morning of how God helped her when she was a student. God was faithful, provided for. And I'm sure if we had time, and I'm sorry we don't, there are many of you this morning that could testify to God's faithfulness to you financially. Friends, God was faithful then. He's still faithful now. He's the same God. He hasn't changed. So how do you find out about his faithfulness? Well, you believe his word and start acting on it. God promises his blessing as we give. This isn't some weird prosperity gospel teaching. That's, that's sinful. That's a distortion of scripture. This is Jesus promising something to us. It's the only time God says to test him. So let's do it. You see, tithing, giving as well, is a faith issue. It's not about money. It's a faith issue. It is about money, but firstly, it's a faith deal. It's about believing God. So I want to urge us, let's give generously. Let's see tithing as our starting point and prove God. Let's get some great stories of God being faithful to you as you give. Maybe you've heard the story of Sam Houston. The city of Houston is named after him, in fact. He was governor of two... Any Americans in this morning? Where are our American students when you want them? Ah, they probably know all about Sam Houston. So he was a governor of two states, president of the Republic of Texas, a US senator and a military hero. Had a colourful personal life, I'll go into that. But age 37, he married his third wife, gives you a clue, Margaret Moffitt Lee was her name. Good name, isn't it? Sometime after this, apparently, evidently, he became a Christian and got baptised and started giving to his local church. And he was asked on one occasion why he was so generous with his giving. And his reply came back something like this. I won't do an American accent, though I'm sure it's better in an American accent. He said this. The day I got baptised, it wasn't just me that got baptised, my wallet got baptised too. Uh, there's a good answer, isn't it? 
So has your wallet, your purse, your bank statement been baptised with you? Are you tithing, giving God generously, trusting God with your finances? I want to urge us, let's get this one right. And let's trust God in it. Let's get some great stories of him being faithful to us. Now, before we wrap up, and we will do it in just a moment, just some common questions that come up at this point. We haven't got time for questions and answers, but I think there's some common questions that come up. So let me rattle through them real quick and try and answer them for you. Number one, should I tithe before or after tax? Well, I've already said, tithing is about giving God the first fruit, isn't it? That first part. So I suggest that it's before tax, after, before the Chancellor and government get their hand on, get their hand on the money. And we, we give to them gladly, don't we? We do. Because of, well, actually we do, because of all that we receive from living in this country. You know, I get emails from Dash in Zim and think, wow, we, we, you know, I might moan about my tax bill, but hey, God has blessed me for living in this country. I'm grateful for it. So tithing is about giving God the first, first bit. Secondly, question number two, how often should I give, you might ask. Well, if you're in work and you get a regular salary, make it as often as you get paid, probably monthly or maybe weekly or every four weeks, whatever it is for you. Give, give regularly like you get paid regularly. Number three, where should my tithe go? Well, we'll believe that the local church should be the primary place of giving. In the New Testament, the money was given to the leaders of the local church and they were then responsible before God as to how that money was then used and distributed. The church is committed to a common vision, to obedience to God's word and our giving reflects that commitment. So any other giving to mission or other Christian or non-Christian organisations should come after and not instead of that regular committed giving to the local church. Now, it's worth mentioning at this point that, that we tithe our income as a church to New Frontiers, the, the family of churches that we're part of. We, we tithe, we actually give more than, more than that. Uh, and we do that joyfully, not grudgingly, because we're, we're glad to be part of something that's bigger than just us and thrilled to be involved in what's happening, extending the kingdom of God around the world. In fact, you know, as I said, we normally give much more than 10% because we believe in the vision of what we're doing together. P.J. Smythe, in his booklet called Get Connected, he leads this church I referred to earlier, God First Church in, uh, in Joburg. Uh, he says this in his booklet uh, about, I think, becoming a member of the church. He says, There seems to be overwhelming biblical evidence for your local church to be the recipient of all of your tithe and much of your offerings. And he quotes R.T. Kendall, who for many years was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in, uh, in central London. And R.T. wrote a book called The Gift of Giving. And in it, he writes this. Tithing is the solution that no one talks about. If every professing Christian would tithe, every congregation would be free of financial worries and could begin to truly be the salt of the earth. The church could begin to make an impact on the world that would change it. Instead, the church is paralysed through lack of funds. Challenging words from, from RT there. Question number four. I'm pressing on as fast as I can. Do I have to tithe to be a member of Jubilee Church? Question four. Have I, do, do I have to tithe to be a member of Jubilee Church? To be a member of Jubilee means that you do commit to sharing the financial responsibility of what we're doing together. That's part of being a member. That's part of us being in things together. Now, we would teach about as I'm doing this morning, and encourage 
and model tithing. And our hope would be that everyone that is a part of Jubilee would give a tenth or more of their income to the work of God here in Jubilee, in this local church. But no, you don't have to tithe to be a member. Tithing is about worship. It's about your worship to God. It's between you and him. You are the one that needs to pray about it, seek God about your giving. It's between you and him. As I've said, I don't know what you give. I only know what I give. Now, I do know of some churches that would say, to be a member in such and such a church, you have to tithe. You know, I've even heard a pastor uh, say, you know, talking about such things and reminding people of their membership covenant to give 10%. We don't. We say it's between you and God. Friends, I'm not interested in making you tithe. What I want to do is see all of us come to a place of faith about our giving, our tithing and giving God more, that releases us then to give, God, to give to God joyfully, enthusiastically, generously, seeing that tithe as a starting point, looking at going further. That's what I want to say. I want to bring us to that place together. But let me say this. If you're a leader, then we, you know, leaders model things, don't they? Leaders model values. So if you are a leader in any area of church life, I would hope that you're reflecting and modelling our values and, and tithing and giving God's uh, generous, regular giving on top of that as well will be one of our values. Number five, real quick. What if I'm a student? Wake up, you students. This is for you. What if I'm a student? Well, listen, we love students. And we would encourage students to give. But I would not, listen carefully now, I would not expect you to tithe your student loan. Why? Because it's a loan. <laughs> You've got to pay it back. Sorry, I know you're putting that off for an indefinite period of time. That's the reality. It's got to be paid back. In the same way, I wouldn't expect you to tithe your mortgage. I don't think it's even legal to. Or if you get a car loan now, I wouldn't expect you to tithe that. But listen, if you're a student, you could consider, for example, maybe tithing out of your living expenses. Or whatever you do, I want to encourage you, seek to be generous. If you work, maybe as a student, maybe even part-time, well, you could, you could tie that, couldn't you? But don't tie your student loan, because it's a loan. You've got to pay it back, all right? Sorry, that's woken some of you up. <gasps> you don't have to pay it back quite yet, but it's there, somewhere in the distance, isn't it? A couple more. What if I'm in debt? Number six, what if I'm in debt? Well, if you've got a mortgage, then you're in debt. Again, we don't like to think about that one very much, but that's the reality, isn't it? The bank owns more of our White House than I do. <laughs> but leaving that one aside, what about other debts? Well, if that's the case for you, then I'd encourage you to get hold of your finances, pray about it, get before God, make a plan to get out of debt, and at the same time begin to tithe. Or at least begin to work towards it and see that as your goal. Remember, it's a faith step. See, as you begin to honour God with your finances, he'll help you sort them out. Now, practically speaking, if you're in that sort of area, anything, actually, I just need some help with my finances, then, then come and see us. There are people who can help you with that, to get hold of that area of your life. Last question, number seven. What about if I already believe all of this and I already tithe? What can I do? Well, firstly, if that's you, let me thank you. Thank you 
for all of you, actually, who give to Jubilee. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your giving to God. But let me go on and urge you to stay on top of your giving. Have you had a salary increase recently? Have you reviewed your giving recently? Have you considered giving God more than that tithe, going further? I want to encourage you, take a fresh look at your finances, get before God, pray about it, ask him what he's saying, and then do it. So as we finish, let me ask you, what are you going to do as a result of this morning's message? What's the action for you? How are you going to pray? What are you going to do? Here are a couple of pointers for action. Commit to praying this week about your giving. Ask God what he's saying about it. If you tithe already, great, thank you. Go for more. If you don't, then ask God to help him, uh, help you reorder your finances so that you can. We've printed off some standing order forms and some gift aid forms. Paul, can you grab them? They're at the back. There's, a, there's a two A5 forms. One's white, one's sort of buff-coloured. Buff, buff coloured. We've printed off some standing order forms and some gift aid forms. So maybe if you give... Do you want to bring them up here? Thank you. If you give by standing order, and, and we do that because it's an easy way to do it, but it's easy, thank you, just to forget about it and not to review it if that's the case. Well, there's some standing order forms that look like this. Why don't you take one of those and ask God, you know, what is saying to you about your regular giving? And maybe you can fill in a new one. If you, you know, maybe do online banking, all the details are on there. If you want to give by cash or check, then that's cool, that's fine. Please use one of the giving envelopes that's over there again so we can track that if you pay tax we can claim your gift aid back and if you do pay tax joyfully and enthusiastically and gratefully before God some of you look like it (laughs) then a gift aid form if you fill one of these out it means that we can claim back from the government the tax on your giving which is just great that really helps us doesn't cost you anything but gives us extra money coming in so that's there for you as well those forms are both on the back Please take them before you go. Let's remember as we finish, we will finish now. God invites us to lead a life of faith when it comes to our finances. It applies to us personally, to us as a church. Tithing, giving is all about worship. That part that we give to God represents the whole. It's about him and worshipping him. Just as you excel in everything, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I want to urge us, let's give generously, cheerfully, enthusiastically, let's excel in this grace of giving. Amen? Let's stand together. I'll pray as we finish. I know it's been a long one this morning. Thank you for Thank you for your attention, for staying with it. I wanted to try and get through it in one go. And uh, if you've got questions about anything, I'd like to chat further about that, then please come and talk to me or to John, and we'd love to chat with you further about it. But let's pray as we finish, then we've got coffee and cakes and biscuits before we go. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that you encourage us to test you in this whole area of tithing and giving to you. Help us, Lord, to be a church that is full of enthusiastic, generous and joyful givers. Lord, I pray that individually and as a church we might excel in this grace of giving. Be exalted in our lives personally in this 
and in the life of us as a church together. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.